0: May we turn please to Genesis chapter 29, verse 11, and Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And then, if you'll turn over just a little further to chapter 35. Verse sixteen, and they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath, and Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. It came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, "Fear not, thou shalt have this son also." And it came to pass, as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Ben Oni. But his father called his name Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave. That is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. On Friday I saw this pillar. Just at the outskirts of the city of Bethlehem is this tomb or this marker for Rachel. And everybody that passes along the highway sees it and they say, that's Rachel's tomb. That's that's Rachel's tomb. Of course, the tomb of Jacob is down in Hebron. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the tomb of the patriots is down in Hebron, and buried with Jacob in Hebron is Leah. But Rachel's tomb is on the wayside there by the city of Bethlehem. And in this series of messages that I'm giving you on Jacob, perhaps the most touching of them all is Jacob's love for Rachel. And there's only one way we'll be able to understand the mysteries of this life and how Rachel died in childbearing other than just the purposes of God. I feel that when we get into the study of the life of Jacob that God has been pleased to reveal these intimate interfamily problems. And He's done it in such a way in each instance, each instance, that we can make applications to our own family ties. We all have brothers, most of us do. We have parents. We have children who get married. We have these ties, Nobody understands them, nobody realizes the full import of them, except those of us who are tied in these connections. And it's in these connections that God opens up the life of Jacob. As a matter of fact, when you study this portion of Genesis with the life of Jacob, you see God telling us the good things about Jacob and the bad things about Jacob. If you were going to write the life of Jacob, you'd leave out the bad things, at least most of them, or the worst things. But God tells everything. He brings the good and the bad together and shows how the two work and the relationship and how he overrules these things. Now, one of the messages that I want to bring you is the problems that Jacob had with his father-in-law, Laban. Jacob had problems with Laban. In fact Laban he felt deceived him and there were problems there was friction there between the two to such an extent that when Jacob got ready to leave he just left without telling Laban he was going to go he just left and then Laban gathers up his forces and goes after him and after three days journey he catches up with him and in the meantime God speaks to Laban and I want to deal with the problem that Jacob had with Laban Another one of the problems that we'll have, and we've already touched on it, is the problem of Jacob to Isaac. Jacob defrauded his brother. He stole his birthright, all of that. And finally, after these years, Isaac and Jacob come back together again. We have this meeting and this reconciliation and and the way in which Jacob moves to try to appease his brother Isaac. And then how God moves in. And, beloved, in every single instance where you have this strife, In every single instance where somebody's been wronged by a brother or been wronged by a father or been wronged by a father-in-law, in every single instance, the reconciliation is brought about by God intervening and speaking. These problems are only solved by the grace of God and by God moving in to speak and to work. Now, in the case of of Rachel, we have a different story. It's one of the sweetest stories. It's one of the most beautiful love stories that you have in all the Bible. As I brought the message to a close, this last message, uh, Jacob's mother had told him he should go up there to his own people and take to himself a wife. And that he didn't want. She didn't want him to marry a Canaanite. And so Jacob went. And we have then the providences of God. You know, beloved, when I read this account in Genesis, I am confronted with the fact that we're dealing with God Almighty. And furthermore, we are confronted with the fact that we're dealing with divine purposes, divine providences, which are of God. And we're also confronted with the fact that the record. The record that we have here in this Genesis account could only have been given to us by God. Uh, Suppose that you were commissioned to write the life or the report of some great man. Of course, Jacob was as great as they come, so far as history is concerned. And you only had about 15 pages into which to put that life down. Just 15 pages to, to write the life. What would you do? How would you figure it out? Well, beloved, when God comes to give the inspired record of the life of Jacob, you have these main events, the birth, the wife, the reconciliations, the turning points in his life, and his death. And then you have the influence of his children upon his life, especially Joseph. And Joseph was the firstborn of Rachel. And, beloved, God puts down just the salient, just the pertinent, Just the relevant facts so that when you read it, you feel you have the whole sweep of this man's life laid before you. And you understand how God dealt with him. And beloved, you and I have a little life to live. We have a little story to tell. And it is in the providences of God that we see these turns and these developments. And we want to see God's hand dealing with each one of us. Well, now, in the case of Rachel, Jacob came to the well. And he was coming to, the, coming to the end of his journey. He came to this well in the land of Haran. And here were several flocks there, and their caretakers, the shepherds, were there. He wanted to know why they were there. He said, well, we have to wait until they all get here, and then we'll take the rock off the top of the well, and then we'll, we'll, we'll water the, the sheep. And then here in the distance comes this flock and here comes this, uh, this young maiden, Rachel. And Jacob had already asked the people around there, said, do you know anything about Laban? Oh yes, yes, he... is he well? My, oh my, habits haven't changed, have they? When you meet somebody, how are you? Are, are they well? The very first question, is he well? Yes, he's fine. Here comes his daughter, she looks after the sheep. And you have one of these very beautiful instances that we call love at first sight. That's what we have here. Love at first sight. Every once in a while you'll see some fellow and he says, I fell in love with my wife the first time I saw her. Sometimes it takes men two or three months to make up their mind. But uh, there are many a man who sees a girl for the first time and he says, That's the girl for me. And Jacob saw Rachel as she came and she was beautiful. She was beautiful and fair to look upon. And here she was tending her father's sheep. And when Jacob saw her, he moved over to her. He kissed her and he wept. He wept. The depths of his soul was so touched that he saw this beautiful girl and he says this is the girl that my mother was praying about this is the reason she sent me up here this is why I've come and here in God's providence when I first get to the well here she is and you know what this man Jacob does he says let me roll away that stone for you you know beloved when a young fella gets in love with a girl he'll move most anything he'll just move most anything and he moved that rock and rolled it away, and then the flocks were, were watered, and then the conversation continued, and he went then into the house of Laban, and Laban received him and said, Yes, we recognize you. You're bone of my bone, and come into the house. And so after he stayed a month, now I, I would say that month is long enough for any relatives to come and stay, or you'll wear your welcome out. But after he had stayed a month, Laban turned to him and said, now you've been here, young man, now what shall we do? And he said, well, he says, I'm in love with Rachel and I want Rachel. And he says, I'll work seven years for Rachel. And he says, that's all right, we'll agree. Beloved families have to have agreements among themselves. You just can't take everything for granted. You can't do it. And so uh, uh, Jacob agreed that he'd work for seven years for Rachel. And we're told that those seven years were as nothing doyle? Time meant nothing. Here was this girl that he loved and he'd fallen in love with her the moment he saw her and she knew that she was his beloved and from that moment on time was nothing. Now you must not misunderstand me when I try to make this a little living on the living side. But I can assure you that you can always tell when some boy's in love with some girl. You can usually tell. We usually use the word to say that Jim has been smitten or something else. But uh, you can tell that this young man has gotten interested in this girl. One of the ways you can usually tell is by the way he combs his hair. You get a young fellow straightening up his hair and you can also see the way in which he puts on his tie... And you can show show a few other things. And the minute he begins to fix himself up just a little bit, you can understand that there's something happening. It's the most amazing thing. A mother can do her best to get a lad to straighten out his hair and look after his tie and a few other things. But a girl that he meets somewhere down on the street corner can change him quicker than anything else. Now, what are you people responding to like that? This is life. Jacob was no different than any other lad. And he had fallen in love with this girl in five years, six years, seven years. He labored and he knew that at the end of those seven years he would be given this daughter. By the way, there's one beautiful little touch here in verse 19 of this uh, 29th verse. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. Do you know what Jacob did? Talk about custom prevailing through the centuries it has. Jacob went and asked Laban if he could have his daughter. And that's still the custom. And young men... In this church, if you get interested in a girl, you've got to go and ask her father if you can have her. Because she's to become your wife, and you're going to be responsible for her. And this custom which you have here from the days of Jacob has prevailed all down through these years, and it is the right custom. Young man, don't, if you're in love with a girl, don't just say we're going to run off and get married, we're going to run off and do this. You don't even think in those terms. You get those ideas completely out of your mind. When the time comes for you to make some decisions in this area as to who's going to be your wife and to whom you're going to pledge your trough, you go over there and you ask her father if you can have her. And then he'll sit down with you and you can have a good talk and he'll have something to say to you and he'll tell you some things that you need to be told. and so Jacob asked Laban if he could have Rachel now there's one thing about this story that has always been a mystery to me and I assume that it'll be a mystery as long as I live but after he'd worked seven years to get her Laban slipped in another girl as a substitute for her I just don't understand You would think that after he'd worked seven years together, he'd make pretty sure that he had her and that he was going to have her according to the agreement. But as you read the story here, he received her, he went in unto her, and the next morning he found out that it was Leah instead of Rachel. Now that's what I can't understand about the story. That's the most mystifying part of the story. But you must remember that they had the veils and you women today when you come to get married you have a veil but you can see through it and furthermore it's customary usually that when you have the veil now that they lift it here at the altar and put it back so the man can have no doubt about whom he's going to kiss (laughs) maybe that's just a little correction on the story of Jacob and Rachel but I must confess I can't understand what was wrong with Jacob that he let Laban put the wrong woman under the veil. And he didn't know until he had entered into uh, the marriage bond with her that he had the wrong girl. My, what a disaster. What a disaster. And it was a disaster. Because when Laban, Jacob went to Laban and he said, You deceive me. I worked for you seven years. I'm entitled to Rachel and I love Rachel and I've enjoyed waiting on her and I had moved the rock from the well when she first came and I kissed her and I wept over her and now you've given me Leah. Well, he says, Leah's all right, but she's mild-eyed and she's not as good-looking as Rachel and I don't love her like I do Rachel. And Laban said, well, it's customary that you give the older before you give the younger and so I had to do it. Now, beloved, I'd like to enter into some of these intimate things here. Perhaps I shouldn't do it here. But I want you to notice as you move through this Genesis account that these areas of the, love, of the bond of love and these areas here of the purity and the relationship of the sexes is a very severe area. And we come to a chapter in just a little later where the one daughter of the boys was ravished by some pagans and they turned around, and in, in vengeance, they burned the whole city and killed everybody in the town. That's what they did to it. And this idea of the purity and the protection of the integrity and the virginity of a girl in the family was a very sacred and precious thing. It's a very sacred and precious thing. By the way, one of the things that interested me in Jerusalem on Friday was that when we visited one of these holy places... The uh, Israeli government has come in now and put these signs up with restrictions for the visits of the holy places. That you're to be reverent and all these descriptions. And you know one of the signs, one of the points, that any woman could not go and visit a holy place if she had on a mini skirt. Now the Jews put that up there since they've taken over Jerusalem. But this area of the purity and the integrity of a young girl, so far as her virginity is concerned, is one of the most precious things of Scripture. And it's here. And once Jacob had gone in to Leah, there was nothing more he could do about it. He accepted it. He turned to his father-in-law and says, Well, what is the term now? He says, Well, work seven more years. And he says, You can have Rachel. And so he worked seven more years to get Rachel. Seven, 14 years that man worked in order that he could have the girl of his love and the one in whom he delighted. 14 years he lived. And then, beloved, we have this providences of God. Here was Leah, and the God blessed her, and he opened her womb, she had one son and two sons and three sons and four sons, run right after another. And she named her sons in relationship to the problem she had with Laban. I have a son, she said, surely he'll love me now. And then she had a second one and she named him. And each name meant something in relationship to the problem that she had with Laban, with Jacob. Each one of these names means something. And you know when you turn in this Old Testament and you see the names, they all mean something. They all mean something. And the naming of a child, the naming of a little girl or a little boy is exceedingly important in any family. What shall that name be? Shall it be named after a father, grandfather? Shall it be a biblical name? Shall it be some other name? But these are the significant things as it relates to these 12 tribes. And I'll get into that in one of the messages, the naming of the 12 tribes. But God opened uh, the womb of Leah and she became fruitful and Rachel was barren. And the only one time in this whole record where there's any evidence that Jacob, said anything in a harsh way to Rachel, it's in this regard. And will you turn to chapter 29 or chapter 30? Verse 2, And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, Am I in God's stead? Who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? When Rachel saw that She bare Jacob no children. Rachel envied her sister, that was Leah, and said unto Jacob, Give me children, else I die. And Jacob turned to her, and in his anger he said, Am I a God to thee? Children are from God. Children are the gift of God. Children are the blessings of God. And in anger he turned to her, and he says, I love you, but... This is in God's hands. My, how that young girl's Rachel heart must have cut and bled. And then she turns and says, All right, if that's the way you feel about it, the only way I can have any children is I'll bring in my handmaid and you can have them by her. And Jacob had two children by her handmaid. Then we have the story how that God moved and God blessed and remember in verse 22 and God remembered Rachel and God hearkened to her and opened her womb and she conceived and bare a son and said God hath taken away my reproach and she called his name Joseph and said the Lord shall add to me another son Joseph God's gonna give me another son in addition to Joseph And it came to pass, when Rachel had borne Joseph, that Jacob said unto her, unto Laban, Send me away, that I may go unto mine own place, unto my country. Give me my wives and my children, for whom I have served thee, and let me go, for thou knowest my service which I have done unto thee. And Laban said unto him, I pray thee, if I have found favor in thine eyes, Terry, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for thy name's sake. And he said, Appoint me thy wages, and I will give it. Beloved, Rachel had her desire, her heart's prayer answered. And after those years... She was able to bear apparently about six years it was 20 years when Jacob left he worked 14 years together and then the additional six years he tells us that he worked for his sheep and we'll get into that story a little later but about six years and then she gave birth to Joseph And then we turn over, if you will, please, to this 35th chapter. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, for thou shalt have this son also. There was a boy, and she says, This little one's alive, and everything's fine. And it came to pass as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni. But his father called him Son of Sorrow, Benjamin. Benoni meant Son of My Right Hand. Joseph and Benjamin. The two sons of Rachel and Jacob lost the girl for whom he worked 14 years. He had lived with her possibly six or seven years, maybe as much as eight years. And she died in childbirth. The beautiful girl. She was taken from him. And the rest of the years of Jacob were spent in recognizing that his love for Rachel was the greatest love he had. And little Benjamin, little Benjamin, was the one that Jacob laid his hand upon. And you know, beloved, the sons of Jacob then were jealous because Jacob favored Joseph and Benjamin. And his favoritism of Joseph and Benjamin was begotten of the fact that their mother died. Was begotten of the fact that this one whom he loved had been taken from him. And it was the conspiracy of the brethren against Joseph. And when he had his little coat of many colors and when they took Joseph and they put him in a pit and they said, no, we'll do it. And they brought the blood of some animal and brought it back to the old man and says your son Joseph is dead he'd been sold a slave into Egypt and the old man was bent down with tears and in these years he was grieved that Joseph had gone and you look at this and you say oh Lord what are you doing to Jacob oh Lord what does this mean in the life of Jacob oh Lord why did you deal with Rachel this way Why didn't you let her live a little longer? Why did you take her away in her childbirth? She wanted children. She longed for children. And you gave her one. And when the second one came, she died in that birth. Oh, beloved, these are tremendous questions. And Jacob was plagued with them. Jacob was confronted with them. And isn't it interesting when Joseph rose to be prime minister of Egypt and he had all the power of Pharaoh at his command, And then he was the one who saved Jacob and his sons and they came, the ten of them. But little Benjamin was kept back. Benjamin was kept back with his father because he loved him. And then Joseph said, go get Benjamin. Bring Benjamin here. I want to see Benjamin. And you know the grief of the old father that Benjamin was having to go. Jacob in his sorrow says, Joseph is gone and now you're going to take little Benjamin away from me. But he let him go, and then you have that dramatic scene in all Egypt when Joseph reveals himself to his brethren. And then here's little Benjamin, I am thy brother. And it was Joseph, and then Jacob comes down again. And Joseph said, you men met this for evil. You meant what you did in selling me into slavery for evil, but God meant it for good. And don't think I'm going to take vengeance on you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. And he did it. Now, beloved, when you look at this girl, Rachel, beautiful looking to her father's sheep, meeting Joseph at the well. Seven years they were going to get married. Seven years more they had to wait. Then when they did wait... They had these difficulties, and Leah had her children, and Rachel didn't, and the burden was in her soul. And then she gave birth to Joseph, and then Rachel, and then her life was ended, and it was all gone. It was over. And you say, oh, how do you justify that? How do you explain that? Beloved, the only way you can explain it is in the sovereign will of God, in his dealings with every one of us. That's all. And there comes a time when every one of us, we're married, we have problems, we have trials, we have heartbreaks, we have disillusionments, we have death, we have accidents, we have these things entering into our lives. We have mothers, we have grandmothers, we have parents, we have troubles. Everybody seems to have it differently. And that's the way it was with Rachel. Everybody who belongs to the Lord has God dealing with him. And, beloved, do you remember how Laban says Joseph said to Jacob, Jacob, your very presence with me has brought me a blessing. Don't leave me. Still stay with me. Look at my flocks. Look at my herds. Look at my lambs. Look what God's done for me, Jacob, because you've been with me. Don't leave me. And yet in the midst of all these blessings, here was Rachel. Oh, beloved, I can't. Unravel the threads that are wrapped around your life, but God can. I can't turn to you and say that uh, this was done for this reason or this was done for that reason, but God has some reason for it. And God used the love that Jacob had for Rachel, and God used the experiences through which he took Rachel To bring Jacob down to that place of submission to the Lord. And that's where he came. Tribulation worketh patience. And patience experience. And experience hope. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our heart. One of the things that they were telling me about on Friday about the Arabs. The Arabs are fatalistic. Absolutely fatalistic. There's no thought of a loving, gracious, kind God behind it all. There's a cold, harsh brutality about their fatalism which isn't related to Christianity at all. But our understanding is that we have a loving Father And he's able to take the mistakes that we make and overrule them. He's able to take the difficulties that arise as between Jacob and Laban, as between Jacob and Isaac. He's able to take these things and overrule them in our lives that we may be brought closer to the Lord, that we might recognize his hand and his power, and that his spirit working in us will take that old wicked nature of ours and sanctify it. The difficulty with a message like this, beloved, is that your pastor can only take it so far. I can only go so far with it. But I can look at Jacob. Jacob. And see, the lad, is, he desired to marry somebody who wasn't a Canaanite. And then we saw Rachel enter his life. Who would have ever thought that when Rachel went out to the well that morning to water the sheep, who would have ever dreamed that when she went out, as she'd done it week after week, month after month, just to water the flock, that there would be a, a man standing there that she'd never seen before. And that he would fall in love with her and he would kiss her. Beloved, I tell you today, the providences of God in your life, in my life, are beyond our comprehension or our understanding. We can't possibly keep up with them. But these providences are there. And this is why if you want to turn it around, the Lord says, be sure your sins will find you out. And you see, when Jacob defrauded his brother... In the providence of God, he, he had to work uh, 14 years to get to one girl. Things were turned around against him. And be sure your sins will find you out. And this is why we have the great instruction in the scripture to each one of us. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Oh, beloved, commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him. And there'll be a Rachel at the well. And he'll bring it to pass. And it's in this deep understanding of the providences of God and the purpose and plan of God that your will surrenders and that your spirit adjusts itself to these matters. And you say, Lord, if this is my place, if this is where thou hast put me, then truly, Lord, let me be exercised by it. And I want us to be exercised I want us in whatever circumstance we find ourselves, with children. Maybe someone dies in childbirth. Maybe some little one's taken like a lamb from the flock. Maybe some accident comes. Maybe we lose a job. Maybe there's something that happens that we don't understand. Maybe we'll even have a hearing on WXUR. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And in God's eternal purpose and providences, he uses this thing for his own and his everlasting glory. And that's the lesson, lesson of Rachel and of Jacob's relationship to her. Now let's go on from here. It's a beautiful story. But let's go on and see Laban. Let's look at Laban. We'll do that on Friday night when we have our preparatory service. And I want you to see how Laban chases after old Jacob. And on his way, the Lord meets him and says, Now listen, I won't tell you the attitude you should have toward Jacob when you meet him. And when God spoke to Laban, his whole attitude toward Jacob changed. And God needs to speak to us that our attitudes may change in places where they need to be changed. For his glory. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for this blessed message. Oh, how we praise Thee that it's so beautifully laid before us. There's Rachel's tomb on the highway today, and millions have seen it through the centuries. But Thou didst take her away, and Thou didst use the sorrow of it in the life of Jacob for Thy glory. For Christ's sake, amen. Hymn number 74. of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.